You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre, welcome back. Thank you. Well, I mean, I was back last week, but I'm recording this. I'm like three days off the plane. The jet lag isn't getting me as bad as I thought it would, but I just frankly didn't sleep a whole lot while I was in Italy. Well, that's the, that's the thing, right? They keep you going late at night. Uh, uh, and then you're and then you're up fairly early, uh, and then you know you're you're up and moving and going and. Yeah. I may I may have made some lifestyle choices that affected my sleep. I I had a good time. I was part of a very large group on this trip to Abruzzo, which is what we're talking about today. Um, there were approximately forty of us from all different like sectors of the industry there were some some travel and lifestyle influencers there there were some definitely some definite traditional media there i got a chance to meet some really cool people it was a really really good group oh excellent yeah um but yeah i i um i flew into rome have you been to rome is that where you usually fly into yeah i've flown into rome rome's not as bad as airport as you think no, it it, it, I mean, it looks pretty awful from the outside, but on the inside, it's actually like a very nice airport. And a large shopping mall, too. Well, yeah, very certainly bigger than, than Toronto, right? Yeah. Um, have you spent any significant amount of time in Rome? Uh, not a significant amount of time, though. No. Yeah, have you taken like the day to be a tourist there and go see some of the sites and, and stuff like that? Yes, I have done that. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, Rome wasn't on my on my bucket list, but... I, I flew in a day early, and uh, I'm really glad that I did. I uh, I walked about 20 kilometers that day. Yep. Um, I'm a bit fascinated with uh, the Roman style pizza, the the rectangular slabs that a lot of takeout places do. Oh, those were great! And they slice them up, and then they weigh them. The, yep. And they they price them by weight. Yep. I had a chance to eat that a couple of times from different places, and it, uh, it was it, it was really fantastic. Like just to yeah. be blunt, that was the first time I'd experienced that, and I was like, "Wow, they do it by weight." That was the part that shocked me. I'm like, "That's by weight." Yeah, and it's not terrible. Well, I mean, that's it, though. Is you get to pick exactly like how much, and like I knew I was going to try to cram a few of those slices down down my uh, down my maw while I was there, so I, I tried to not eat too too much, and then. Um, I, I did a walking tour of Rome, uh, visited the Colosseum, uh, visited the, the Pantheon, uh, and then I thought of you as I grabbed my first gelato. That's You know what? I was going to send you a post that said, Andre, three words, and I was going to post three pictures of gelato. Gelato, gelato, gelato. But I decided against it because uh, it makes me look like a glutton. So, <laughs> um, Visited the Vatican. I'm trying to get to like the wine stuff quickly. Oh, we did the episode last week about uh, Negronis. Um, I went to, okay, so I went to this like hole in the wall bar. It was a little bit off the the tourist paths because I, I was in in an area where I was way too early for my um, my reservation for dinner, and I could see there was one waiter. He must have been waiting about 15 tables, and he kept coming by telling me, okay, I'll be there in a minute, I'll be there in a minute. I finally said, like, listen, man, I'm not in a hurry, like, calm down, what's the best cocktail you've got, I'm looking for a spritz. And um, he's just like, he seemed, like, relieved, and I told him I wasn't in a rush, and he brought me a Campari spritz, which is something I hadn't had, in a cup that was the size of my head, 
and I think it has to be the strongest, one of the strongest cocktails I've ever had. Well, and did you enjoy it? Very much so. Uh, I walked almost 20 kilometers that day. Uh, I took 26,000 steps and yeah, that was, uh, that was what was going on there. And then they uh, drove us to the other side of the country to uh, visit Abruzzo where we stayed right on the coast of the Adriatic Sea. Yeah, what a, what a gorgeous uh, place. I've never been. It's one of those places I definitely want to go. Uh, and, but it was it, I've, I've been to Abruzzo tastings. I've been to master classes and seminars. And it just looks like an absolutely wonderful place to uh, spend a little bit of time. Did you do any skiing in the morning and swimming in the afternoon, as they always like to say? No, nothing quite like, nothing quite like that. Um, but, I mean, fresh seafood was definitely a highlight. Like, there's a... I don't. It's we went to a few. We went to like a historic church in a village. I, I'm I, and I feel bad that I can't remember the the name of it. And I really, I just, I really hate to say this. It's just like there's so many historic churches all over all over that continent. But I imagine, especially in the cradle of, of Roman Catholicism, that Correct. every church right. is yeah, significant. You could, to, you could you could do a uh, a church uh, tour, and it would take you months to get all of them in. Um, just in Italy, it's just in Italy alone. Yeah, hundred um, percent. That being said, like we did some we did some winery visits, uh, obviously, uh, but the food was definitely a highlight. Um, the first night we were there, we ate at what's called a trabocchi. Trabocchi. I'm sure there's some Italian people who will be correcting me on my on my pronunciations. I apologize in advance that I wasn't paying as close enough attention, or I didn't retain what the name of it was. But it's basically like it was a a restaurant on stilts, just out into the uh, into the edge of the ocean, and ate some very good fresh seafood. Oh, lovely! Yeah, I guess I'll just keep going through this and doing a lot of correct. Talking. That's what you're supposed to do. I <laughs> I don't have the word for it either. I I I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, say trabocchi, or I would have going to say trattoria, but I mean that's. No, it wasn't. I think it was. It was something like it was. It was very specific because it was a type of type of building that it was. Um, yeah. Um, the first. Let's see. Taking a look at the list of the the wineries that we visited. I mean, it's it's the fascinating thing about how these these tours were set up. Is a lot of the wineries that we were visiting were fairly large, fairly large wineries. Yeah. Um. So large wineries with uh, with a market market presence in the in the export market, which is which I mean is is fascinating. All like it's cool to see uh, like what people are doing. And the first winery we visited was let me just pull up the name because the other thing that I find tough is a lot of these wineries like you have the winery brand and then they own several brands around it. Yeah, within within the winery. Yeah. So like I, the name I've of had the some brand. Of those, those when I uh, when I do some of my videos. Uh, and especially when uh, after I did the uh, the uh, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo tasting, I I picked up a few of the wines there, and going to their websites to find some information uh, it was amazing. How many different brands? And you're like, well, where's the brand that that comes into Canada, which is the one I'm holding? And you find that it's way down there, and it's it's not even uh, you know available locally. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, I mean, it is a little frustrating how things are set up, and I think it's one of these things too where we just have to remember that different markets are 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 set up. I mean, you and I need to remember the different markets are set up differently, which is, I mean, great, but also can be incredibly frustrating. We're just trying to get some information. Um, so I got it in front of me. It's Cantina Frentana. So it was a winery that was set up with uh, at one point in time they had 
these massive uh, massive towers that they're called like the wine towers. It, it, they did. I mean, it was the other problem too. Is there were a lot of people who who didn't speak really great English, so it was tough to get the full intention of the the stories that they were that, that they were telling. But I didn't really understand the purpose of the wine towers. But there were a lot. Of, there was a lot of uh, piping and tubing in it. So at some point in time these towers are being used to move the juice from one part of the winery to another. Makes makes you realize that you should invest a little bit in Babel. I'm just saying. Babel. I mean, I've Google translate and everything. And the other thing too is like, like I, I speak French uh, fairly fluently, so I can generally follow along with Italian, but it's also tough to just, uh, you know, pick up, pick up on all the details when someone's talking about like when you're dealing with the, with, a winery, there's a, a different vocabulary that goes with that than, say, being it's, a tourist it, or it's shopping interesting. somewhere. I said the same thing to somebody in Italy once about, you know, knowing French, I should be able to follow Italian. And they were like, no, no, uh, Italian is closer to Spanish than it is to French. Italian is closer to Spanish than it is to French. I'm not sure I necessarily necessarily agree with that. I, I, I found that, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I find... Italian closer to, well, you know what, I guess I don't speak Spanish, so I, I can't really speak to that. But I find it easier to understand Italian than it, I do Spanish, for for one thing. No. Oh. All right. Um, so then in the evening of uh, my first day tasting in Abruzzo, I had a chance to visit a winery in Villa Magna. And I know you were on your email today, and uh, I was actually very inspired by what I discovered in, in Villa Magna. Um, I am 39 years old in, uh, in just over a month here. And I think one of the big problems with a lot of these wines made from Montepulciano, and I was even thinking about it today is like, let's just say, like I asked people as I was taking them, it's like, Oh, how long should this be in your cellar? How long should this be in your cellar? And, uh, you know, some of them were saying like 20 years and it's just like in 20 years, I'm going to be 59 years old. Yeah. yeah. Do I really want to wait that long to drink a wine that I'm spending 20 or 30 euros on? Because a lot of these wines are still not expensive. They're certainly not the price of like Brunello's or, or Barolo's, right? No, the the the, uh, the cost of a multiple Joe. Geez, I can't even say it these days. The cost of a multiple Giano d'Abruzzo is definitely well under the Brunello's and, and the Barolo's of the world. Um, and they still, but they still offer really great value. And you can see that when in you're even walking through the LCBO, going through a tasting uh, of Abruzzo wines, and you were there, uh, you know, the the ex seller price was probably something that made your jaw drop. 100%. 100%. And I mean, the, the, the whites were, I, I heard a lot of people in trips talk about that they found the whites um, interesting and, and delicious. And I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mince words. I didn't find a single pecorino on this trip. That I wouldn't have supremely crushed on a hot day. The quality of the wines well, was pe- very high. Pecorino is. I found it. You know, uh, I've tasted pecorino before, but what really opened my uh, eyes to pecorino was, believe it or not, Angelo Pavan of uh, oh, Cape Spring. Of During Cape the Springs. pandemic, I bumped into him at my local LCBO, and he's like, "You've got to buy this and go buy yourself some mussels." And uh, I bought three bottles of this pecorino at twelve ninety five, and still to this day wish I had bought more. Well, but I mean, that's the thing, though, is, uh, well, okay, well, I, I want to find out which bottle that was, because I tasted a lot of Pecorino on this trip, and they were all very high in quality, but there wasn't a single one that was a standout. You know how we ended the last podcast where you and I had both tasted a, a Chardonnay recently from the 2020 vintage, where we were just like, oh my god, this is so incredible. 
I didn't find a Pecorino that had that moment with me. And um, I, don't, I, don't I, think I, there, there I, is Pecorino that that will give you that moment. Yeah, but it will give you, uh, as far as I'm concerned, it'll give you a seafood moment. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You're going to go. I love this. I love the minerality. I love that saltiness of this grape. I can go have mussels, oysters. You okay, name here's, it. Here's, here's 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 a sweeping statement, and you can tell me if this is is this is accurate or not. Is if you love New Zealand, or sorry, if you love Sauvignon Blanc, if you love Sauvignon Blanc either from Ontario, New Zealand, uh, the Loire Valley, or South America, there is a very, very good chance you're going to like Pecorino. There's a good chance you're going to love Pecorino. I, I would say that probably uh, is is true to a point. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Sauvignon Blanc has a little more fruit uh, from some uh, some of the warmer places. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. The way New Zealand is playing with it these days. Yep. Um, but it definitely has the minerality, definitely has uh, the citrus. Definitely. Um, okay, so to, to go back to, to where I was uh, in uh, Villa Magna, uh, we were at Egra Cosimo. Um, our tour was done by a fellow named Colin Proietto, who I just today sent out an email invite for, because I do want to do an entire podcast on Villa Magna. It's a new DOC in Abruzzo, where there's seven wineries that I've gotten together, uh, obviously surrounding a small village called Villa Magna, and uh, they are pushing to make a more accessible style of Montepulciano. Um, I did have one Montepulciano d'Abruzzo Reserva from Villa Magna that was so unbelievably stellar that I brought a bottle back with me. It was my favorite wine of the trip. And that's the other thing is I talk about how I didn't have... Uh, I didn't have like a Pecorino that I had a moment with, but I did have a moment with this. And and this is not to dismiss any of the producers in Villa Magna, and we'll get this more de- into detail if we do book that interview, but from Villa Martello, uh, their Villa Magna Reserva was just stellar. And, I mean, the other cool thing about this orga- organization and the, the DOC that they put together is, like, they've managed to come to consensus on bottle shape, you know, certain regulations in viticulture, and, and just kind of, like get their get their heads together to benefit each other in terms of having a consistent market presence, and it was a little envious to see that these seven groups, these seven wineries of, of varying sizes, have got together for the greater good. And thinking about the challenge that are face that that is being faced by our wineries in Ontario, that there's so many of them that when you're talking about organizing to lobby the government, I think even now is it still I think it's still split into two organizations, right? Like the one with the big guys and one with the small guys. I believe that's still the case, yes. Yeah, so I mean, to have seven uh, seven wineries, and I get it, it's not 140, but, you know, obviously you're dealing with some wineries that are, are have a different financial level than others. There's a, a cooperative that's in there as well, and for them to come to a consensus to create a lobby and a, a stronger marketing entity is something I found pretty admirable, and I'm hoping we get to talk to uh, Colin about the future. Yeah, um, it, it's amazing what can be done if if, you know, people just... I don't know what's the word unite I guess yeah and, and stop trying to fight uh, a system that they don't like but try to work with it and make it better that's and, right yeah Henry. we'll we'll get into that we'll get into that with him hundred percent I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can uh, uh, we can rag on somebody at that point <laughs> uh, I had a chance to so so they brought us into the Villamania commune and for for dinner we got to sit down with all the winery owners and, and principals and 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 actually drink the wines and um, they hauled out this porchetta that was like, I've never eaten a piece of pork that was that delicious in my life. And I've been talking to my wife this summer. I was planning on 
um, on making my own porchetta at some point. But I think I, I, this is something I need to give up before I start because I can guarantee you, even if I make a very good porchetta, it's not going to be anywhere nearly as good as what I had a chance to eat in Villa Magna. No, the way they the way they make them there over the open flames sometimes, uh, it's not even worth it. It's not. 100%. Although what I never understood is, and when I when I go to Italy occasionally, uh, they'll throw what they call barbecue, and uh, for a for a country that is known for you know things. Uh, you know, tomato based. How they have not learned about barbecue sauce, I'll never tell you. Oh, that's hilarious! That's actually a really good, a really good, a really good point. I mean, that being said, the the porchetta that I had was was perfect on its own. I didn't have to put anything on it. For for them though, a, a barbecue is literally you know a meat off of a grill, and it's got that nice char. But just a little bit of barbecue sauce would just go such a long way. Just, just a, even for a dipping sauce. You know, I didn't, I didn't miss the barbecue sauce as well. But I think this might, might come down to where you're a little bit of a ketchup kid. I think, Michael. I am still a ketchup kid. Uh, the next day, I went to my first Antiprima, and this is something where, like, I've always been enamored with the fact that you get to get to go to these on a regular basis. And you know, the whole idea of being in a room and getting a chance to taste all the wines is something that's like very exciting to have an opportunity to kind of get um, a, a self guided masterclass in in what you get to taste. Um, the one that I was at, things did not go completely as planned. Uh, we were sitting at tables, and there were supposed to be sommeliers who were bringing bottles to us. It was clear they didn't have things very well organized in the in the back. Um, you know, I got to taste maybe fifteen wines over the course of four hours in the morning, which was a, or three hours in the morning, which was a little tedious to have to wait for product. Um, that being said, in the afternoon they did a grand tasting, a walk around tasting, where all the producers and export managers were there serving their wines. And I got to taste some really fascinating stuff. Uh, the standout from that was from Gianni Cola Di Carlo. It was a skin contact passerina. And it's cool when you talk to someone even in Italy who recognizes what's happening in, in marketing. Because when uh, it was presented to me and I had a chance to taste it, she said, oh, it's, it, we did this number of days skin contact. I'm like, oh, so this is an orange wine. And she, she corrected me. She's like, no, this is a skin contact wine. So I think there's already a connotation with consumers, even for export man- export managers in Italy, that they expect certain wines to taste a certain way. And I have to tell yeah, you, yeah, they're they're. It's amazing that some people want to talk about orange wine and some people want to stay away from orange wine, and it's 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 an interesting uh, uh, it's an interesting contrast uh, to see those who want to talk orange and or those who don't want to talk orange. And I'm always happy to talk to those who want to disdain orange get away from orange um and start calling it uh something different you know slightly skin contacted uh versus, well, yeah i you know, mean two, i mean that's it like two months skin contact it's 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 clear that they're, they're trying to put a little bit of distance between a little bit of distance between um um a little bit of distance between that label and the wines that they're ranking but yeah this wine it it honestly it tasted, I guess the best comparison is like some of the great white wines from the, the Rhone. Like it was more like honey and waxy and there were some fruit notes under it. But like it was really buried under some of the more savory notes that they pulled from the from the skins. But like I I just had this moment with this wine where it was just like, oh my God, this is, this is so unbelievably tasting. I really hope that someone someone in Canada brings it to the market and um, if it wasn't at a walk around tasting and if I had a chance to visit the winery, I definitely would have grabbed a bottle to taste with you just because I think it's one that definitely would have changed your mind as well. 
I'm glad you had a good time in Abruzzo and finally got to Italy. I know you've been once before, but you know, uh, you went to like a, a Mediterranean region, like Franciacorta. No, but, this this um, was this was this was good and and eye opening. And you know, I, I won't go through like the the, the full full thing because, like I said, the moment I got back, I was really inspired that I spent the day emailing some of the really great winemakers that and and wine principals that I um that I had a chance to meet. Um, and I found out that a lot of them are coming to Canada because they already have agents and they're already in the market. But we went to uh, Vina del Bosco, um, and they're another winery that are making those like really. High in Tan and Montepulciano's. Uh, the winery was over 100 years older. The company exists over 100 years, but it was really fascinating. But this is one where I found the Chardonnay. Oh, nice. I, I posted about it on, on Instagram. Um, it's in a really cool... Well, it's, it's it's got a cool label. It's in a Bordeaux-style bottle, but I guess when you're in, in Abruzzo, you don't need to follow the rules. No. Uh, it's called Pan, so it has a picture of of Pan on the bottle, which is a goat man demigod sort of thing. Yes, it's part of uh, it's part of Roman um, mythology. Uh, but I, I grabbed the bottle to bring home because Captain Chardonnay couldn't leave a brute so without without bringing the the Chardonnay with him. Um, well, I'll was, tell you I'll tell you a funny story when I was in uh, Tresemino. Yeah, please do. Uh, what I uh, we were tasting over lunch one day. We had grochettos and tibianos and all that kind of thing. And I'm tasting through them very quickly. And finally, I stumble upon a bottle. And I'm like, wow, this is really good. This is the one I am going to drink for lunch. And I poured myself a big glass of it, blah, blah, blah. And just as I'm leaving the table, uh, the guy says to me, and Andre, you'll never guess what grape variety it was. Um, the guy says to can. me, <laughs> that's a Chardonnay. And I'm like, oh, I hate you, Andre. Uh, I mean, it's it is. I I do love I do love how it's kind of cool that um, you know, I've I've kind of said before that it's it's if you can't grow Chardonnay in your wine growing region, you maybe need to question whether you should have vines in the in the in the ground. So I guess in in one respect, Chardonnay is a bit of a weed. Yeah, it is, and we've heard that before. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but this this uh, so the Chardonnay that I tasted, I was actually a little bit surprised because the winery has this this rich heritage, like this this hundred year heritage. <laughs> But it's very clear that the wine was made in a um, in a new world style. Like it was in heavier toasted barrels than I think you would see anywhere, even in in, in Ontario for sure, in Burgundy for sure. Uh, more lees stirring. Um, alcohol was at about like thirteen some percent, so it definitely had this like very new world sensibility to it, which I was a little bit surprised about because I would have expected if you were going to plan on making making Chardonnay in in Italy. You might lean more or learn more or look more towards. Sorry, I didn't mean to mix up those three words. If if I were if I were making Chardonnay in Abruzzo, I would take my inspiration from from Burgundy, maybe some of the older established wineries in, in California. But like this felt more like some of the stuff we're tasting from Chile or from Australia that really is hanging on to the, those uh, new wood characteristics. I, I I find that I'm, I'm and that Tresemino. Uh... Uh, story kind of blows my theory out of the water, but I don't find that I'm drawn usually to Italian Chardonnay. Uh, there are there are a few exceptions, obviously, but uh, it's it's not a grape I think of Italy for. No, um, nor should I. Th- you know, not a, 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 nor should a lot of Italian uh, producers be. You know, focusing on Chardonnay. So when you do find a good one, it means that somebody you know has a passion for it. 
uh, and that and that makes all the difference. That being said, though, I mean it's it's how the Super Tuscan, like the whole concept of Super Tuscans, came into place, though, right? I mean, if there were some people who organized and found a really great way to make Chardonnay, I mean, by all means, I would hate to see someone leave a style on the table. And this isn't me being being Captain Chardonnay. It's just the fact that Chardonnay is so versatile. Ask me, did I mention I brought a bottle back with me? Because I did bring a bottle back with me. In, yes, spite, in, in spite of my critique of the style. Um, but that being said, I don't think that that particular style is going to take hold uh, with the locals in, in Italy. No, it's looking for an international market is what it is. But but it's also, I think it's an international market that's starting to change. I think you you and I, we've talked about it before. I think we can both agree that that whole idea of that Salas Chardonnay, while it still has a place on the market is not the majority anymore. It's definitely in the in the minority. We're seeing people pulling back on making Chardonnay in that style and being a little bit more light and and letting the fruit speak as opposed to letting the barrel speak, which is the reason why, largely why you have an ABC card. Correct. Very much so. Well, there we go. Um... And that's your quick tour of uh, Abruzzo. I, I look forward to your notes. Those are definitely the highlights. Uh, so everybody should on uh, AndreWineReview.ca. Definitely, definitely you should. And, and you should stay tuned to this because uh, I, I have uh, interview requests with uh, Tori Zambra, with uh, with our friend Kenneth from Marchand des Amériques. Uh, Angeline from Profile got an email from me today. And um, we've got, uh, yeah, the, we're hopefully going to be talking about Abruzzo a lot over the course of the next year. And you know what, Michael? I actually did think of you a lot on the trip because of these wines, because of how cellar-worthy these wines are, also because of how high the quality of the wines are, but also how supremely affordable they are. And I think if you're a wine tourist and you're looking for a place to save a few bucks and get something like really nice to save for a special occasion, this is definitely a place to do it. That being said, because I tasted so many wines over the the past few days, that piece of advice that you give me, and I don't think we've really mentioned on the podcast lately, and I know we have a lot of newer people listening to the podcast. By the way, thank you for subscribing to the podcast and emailing us while our archive was briefly offline last week. Um, When you're traveling and you're buying wine that you want to bring back with you, make sure you're enjoying it twice as much as you think you are. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but it's just, I picture your stupid voice, Michael, in my head telling me that when I'm tasting a wine that I'm enjoying on the road. And I did not bring a lot of wine back with me from this trip because of that, except for that one Villa Magna that I am really looking forward to opening because I know how much I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's very important to realize that uh, uh, the, the country, the winemaker, the whole experience makes you like a wine more. And it's amazing how many people echo that back to me when I tell them, like teaching classes or whatever I'm doing, and they echo that sentiment back to me by telling me a story about a wine they brought back, and it was nothing like what they had when they uh, when they had it in the place they drank it. Yeah, I mean it's it's it is uncanny. It is it is quite possibly the best piece of advice that you've uh, you've given me over my career. Uh, so there, if you're planning to travel this summer. To uh, to drink wine, wine always tastes better in the presence of the winemaker. So th- keep that in mind before you buy a bunch and bring it back with you. Well, you, you you haven't accepted your ABC card yet, so I'll get you there, dude. I have an Instagram account called Captain Chardonnay. Oh, actually, someone I met on the trip, uh, Christine Campbell from Out West, is going to be joining the podcast. 
I sent you a calendar invite for that, Michael. As uh, as um, as Mrs. Chardonnay or what? Well, she's she's coined the term Chardcore, but I mean, we'll save we'll save all that for later because I told her, and I've actually told a few people this that, uh, and anyone listening to this, because I know some people have tried to convert me, I've never had a BC Chardonnay that really was memorable. With the exception, I, I had Lightning Rock last fall in Saskatchewan, which was which was glorious. But I've, I've drank a lot of the the Chardonnay that you can find in the Southern Okanagan. I, I've had Chardonnay from from the Northern Okanagan. I'm not going to single out any wineries just uh, just so it seems like I'm I'm talking smack about them. But like I've had good Chardonnay. But you know I, I had the same experience with Chardonnay in the Okanagan that I've had with the the Pecorino in in Abruzzo. I had a lot of really good Chardonnay that wasn't too too expensive. Because I really didn't mind drinking it. I don't mind it when people bring it into my house. But is there anything that is really memorable? I haven't had that. And when Christine heard me say those words, and actually uh, Laura Milnes, who lives in Toronto, has heard me say those words too. She's like, everyone's appalled when I say that. So I think she's going to try to change change my mind on BC Chardonnay. We're going to do it with you as well. So finally, I can turn the tables on you and have another Chardonnay lover to maybe get well, you to rip up your ABC card. At least two of you are wrong. <laughs> there we go that's what i missed that's what i missed about the the week off in italy andre i think it's time to uh wrap this sucker up i'm andre brew from underwinereview.ca uh and thank you to everyone in abruzzo who shared those wonderful wines with us and looking forward to talking more about it this year uh help us out on patreon patreon.com slash two guys talking wine and that's two with a number not the words We'll find a, a tidier way to say that in the future. Yeah, we'll figure. We'll we'll tidy that one up with a nice little bow. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Find me on uh, social media as The Grape Guy, uh, Michael Pincus Wine Review, or Michael Pincus. Somehow, I got all three. Oh, is it my turn to I think send so. us off, Andre? I think so. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. Two Guys Talking Wine is produced by Jim Ray, Adam Duran, and Ken Little.